The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Developments, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. Accessibility is a word that you hear more of, and for good reason. Canadian Paralympian Joel Demby says, being accessible is essential when creating a strong and inclusive workplace and society. He goes on to say, it's also good for business. It's good in so many ways, but namely it's good for the bottom line. According to Jason Keck, the CEO and co-founder of Broker Buddha, diverse and inclusive companies are 35% more likely to surpass their competitors. Joel Demby adds, companies with diverse workplaces are six times more likely to be innovative and anticipate choppy headwaters and then adapt to meet new opportunities. According to the web accessibility platform AudioI, more than 1.3 billion people that's one in six people live with some type of disability. Joel Demby points out, I often tell business leaders we have to see disability as an economic opportunity. I invited tennis and accessibility champion and RBC senior manager of communications, Joel Denby, to join me for a conversation that matters about removing barriers. Joel, thanks for joining me. Joel, tell me how your story came to be. How did you wind up in a wheelchair? Uh, I was born with a disability. I was born with a tumor. The doctors removed it right away. It led to a scoliosis. Started using a wheelchair as a result at the age of about five, but um, spent many, you know, times in the hospital with surgeries, and it just developed over time, which is uh, which is my story, really. So this is the way that you've navigated your way through life, on wheels rather than on feet. Yeah, to me, it's normal. Uh, it, you, know, there's, you know, when I tell my story to the audience, it probably doesn't seem normal at all. But when you're going through it, it just seems like, oh, this is who I am and I accept me for, for me and I just got to keep moving forward. Over the course of your lifetime, though, I'm sure that you have run into barriers, uh, physical barriers, uh, that, that make it difficult for you to navigate your way around. Are we getting any better uh, as a society uh, just on the physical barrier side of things and being able to make it easier for somebody who has a mobility challenge to get from A to B? Yeah, I, I think physical barriers are actually the one that I've seen the most progress over the last number of decades. And I mean, even look at Vancouver, most of the transportation in, in the city probably wasn't accessible to the degree it is today, you know, 40 years ago. But I've been to Vancouver twice this year, obviously not for, for, for this event and getting from the airport, uh, taking the SkyTrain right to downtown, using my wheelchair. I couldn't ask for anything more as someone who uses a wheelchair. And I think a lot of the built environment around us, any new buildings that go up now have to be pretty much wheelchair accessible thanks to, you know, accessible certification. There's obviously the Rick Hansen uh, certification that that's taken place in airports and hospitals and, and many of the other built environment around us. So I've seen a huge change. And I think getting the next element of that is is the outdoor space. And I think we look at buildings as being sort of the catalyst for that. But I still think there's more to do, especially here in Canada. What about all four corners of an intersection having sidewalk notches, you know, for wheelchairs? 
I understand that's a really big deal. It, it is. And I think I, you know, when I traveled uh, as, as a Paralympian, and maybe we'll get into that, you know, in, in a bit, I started realizing how lucky we truly are in, in Canada. And, and I guess, you know, more specifically in, in North America. But you go to certain countries where there aren't any uh, slopes curved. There, there's no uh, way to get around without asking for help at every intersection. And I think, you know, Canada and, and obviously Vancouver, it's really easy. Uh, and, and it seems like, why shouldn't it be this easy everywhere? But it's not. And I think we have to remind ourselves there's been a lot of progress in our country, but there still needs to be a lot more progress in, in other countries around the world. So in my introduction, I referred to you as a Paralympian. Tell me about which sport and where you've been and, well, how you've done. I competed in the Paralympics in wheelchair tennis. That was my sport for many years. I started playing when I was about 13 years old, right through to about the age of 30 when I retired. And, and I, wheelchair tennis spoke to me in a number of ways. When I grew up, you know, my parents introduced me to a number of wheelchair sports, racing, uh, you know, even even para ice hockey and, and and wheelchair basketball, but team sports. And I've told this before, but team sports just didn't click with me because I wanted to sort of be that ball hog. And when I was introduced to wheelchair tennis, you know, quickly became uh, something where, hey, it's it's on my shoulders. I can I can do everything. And, and it was difficult to learn at first because you're juggling moving your wheelchair, uh, tracking down a moving ball and obviously hitting the ball and then rinse, repeat over and over again. But I really liked the challenge of it. I also liked the ability to travel around the world. And I've been to every continent because of wheelchair tennis. So it really gave me uh, the, the, the world. Before wheelchair tennis, I'm not sure I would have been able to do or see the things that um, I, I, I would have had I not taken up the sport. So um, I was very privileged to represent Canada at the London 2012 Paralympics. And obviously in between Paralympics, you're playing tons of tournaments to get your ranking up. So, you know, get going around the world and getting my ranking up, winning tournaments, uh, playing with a doubles partner who, uh, you know, was amazing, Philippe, Philippe Bedard. Um, he and I won the bronze medal uh, for Canada at the 2015 Pan Am Games and I retired shortly after. Got to get you to hang on for a second while we take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Developments, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. When you take a look at your tennis career, when you first started playing tennis, did you have some accessibility challenges that were in the way? But because of persistent effort by people who believed that this was the right thing to be doing, did the landscape or accessibility improve over time? When I first started playing wheelchair tennis, I needed help from my mom and dad. They, you know, I'm not playing in just an everyday wheelchair. I'm playing in a sport wheelchair. So getting that equipment in and out of the car, my racket bag, all that stuff, I had to keep asking for help. But then other wheelchair athletes would challenge me and they would say, Joel, you know, you don't need help. You can do it yourself. And there became this sort of judgment that I'm like, oh, I, I guess I, I can do this myself. And maybe it would take me a little bit longer to, to do those things, but I eventually did them on my own. And, and I think the big thing, and I always faced tra was travel. 
I had to travel with two wheelchairs, luggage, and a tennis bag. And I did it, you know, I went to 18, 19 tournaments in 2011, and I did the same in 2012 during my peak years playing. And, you know, it, it, it's a big issue right now, even, even today in Canada, where, you know, airlines don't know how to handle disability. It's, it's a real sad situation. I've had friends who have had their wheelchairs damaged. Uh, I had a bit of a tactic in that I would wheel my chair all the way right to the gate, the tennis chair, not this one, which I would obviously take, but I figured the, le the least amount of steps between the chair and the plane was probably better. And I only had a few in 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 incidences, but uh, I remember a, a, a friend of mine traveling and landing and the wheelchair being completely damaged like the day before you have a big tennis match. And, you know, it, it, it's still in the news today. And I think airlines, unfortunately, with, with cost cutting measures, disability paid the brunt of, of, of that. You know, it, it's really sad situation, but that's, I felt was the, was the most challenging was traveling in a wheelchair. You know, you pointed out something that's quite interesting. You said at first, mom and dad, I need your help. And then other people said, well, now, Joel, you can do it on your own. So you challenged yourself to do it. And then you go to the airlines not getting uh, what you want or needed. So you went and came up with a strategy that worked for you. How much of a problem solver do you have to be when you have mobility challenges when you want to navigate your way through these extra obstacles that somebody who is not in a wheelchair doesn't have to confront? It's always in the back of your mind when you've been in a wheelchair as long as I have, and, and obviously many of my friends have. The ability to problem solve on the fly, even just going to work when, you know, there's an elevator outage, you're calculating, okay, can I go up that escalator? Is it going to be safe? Am I going to get in trouble? Probably, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's the only option on the floor. Do I have to go back on the subway to get to another train? These are things that we all deal with with physical disabilities. But I think the one piece of advice that I often share to, you know, whether you're a young person with a disability or you've come into a disability later in life is that you really have to use your voice. You have to be assertive. Sometimes that might seem like you're grumpy. No, it's, you have to take control of the situation or others will take that control away from you. And I think that's, you know, a really unfortunate thing when that happens. So when it comes to workplace accessibility, at what point in your life did you enter the workforce? Or were you working while you were still uh, an athlete? Uh, what year would that have been? I think most people think that I entered the workforce just after I retired. But even when I was uh, you know, a, you know, a young athlete, I was working part-time at various companies. And I started realizing that there were attitudinal bar barriers to being a, a worker with a disability. I think we often type, uh, try to pigeonhole people with disabilities into specific types of jobs. And, you know, I, I don't think that we, sh we should do that. I think, you know, if you have the capability to perform, uh, you know, you shouldn't just be thrown in a call center somewhere. You could, you could do anything you want. And, you know, I, I realized that for me to enter the workforce and be a consistent performer, just the same way I did as a wheelchair tennis athlete, um, I, I would have to build a routine and, and, you know, really learn how to, you know, 
go to work earlier or, you know, get ready in the morning. You know, it, it's nothing's as easy yet, you know, uh, but going to work uh, when you when you're in a wheelchair, you have to really uh, think ahead. And, and I think one of the biggest challenges I face today is is, yeah, it is still the commute getting yeah. from point A to point B, because there's certain times where you just can't you can't change anything. You can't change if, you know, the complete there's a complete outage, uh, you know, in the infrastructure of transportation. You can't change if something's not working. So I think sometimes it's nice to have a backup plan. But um, what I would say is that hybrid work has, has really changed uh, things for the better for, for so many people in Canada with physical disabilities. I certainly know it has for me having that ability to say, you know what? Uh, okay, this elevator is out. I'm not coming in today and not feel pressure to, to come in. I think sometimes I put that on myself, but mm -hmm. I think it's something where, you know, when you have a disability, you have to learn a to take control, but also be uh, learn to let things go. And we shouldn't have to make that choice when it's just working. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Development, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. You mentioned attitude as being a barrier because I think, oh yeah, well it's the physical barrier that you want to get out of the way, but attitude is a very big part of any barrier that reduces somebody's access to employment opportunities that can be fulfilling, you know, those economic or job opportunities that give you a sense of fulfillment and, and they enrich you. And they also allow you to be a strong contributor. How are we doing from a societal perspective on overcoming some of those attitudinal challenges or barriers? Not well. Uh, I, I think on one hand, when I was a Paralympian, I felt that we were making traction, but I think the more I'm entrenched in the corporate workforce, the more I simply don't see myself represented. And the stats back me up. You know, many people with disabilities still live in poverty in Canada. Many of those who do work are in low paid jobs. You know, I was hoping to see progress on the scale of what the Paralympics had in, in London. We had uh, packed stadiums. We had high ratings on, on Channel 4, which is where it aired in, in UK. But there is still an element of being invisible when you have a disability. And I think we have a greater appreciation for the broad array of disabilities. I think most people see someone like me as the prototypical person with a disability because of the wheelchair, it's the logo that you see everywhere. But I think the definition of disability, depending on who you ask, is changing because of invisible disabilities, people who are on the neurodiversity side of things. But I still think there's this inherent, um, you know, change that we have to make to include more people with disabilities. And one thing that I often tell business leaders and those who I talk to is we have to see disability as an economic opportunity. If you bring more uh, workers with disabilities into your workforce, you're, you're also you're also looking at your customers too, and it's no different that you want to have a workforce that represents the population in which you serve. So I think it goes both ways. I still think with an aging population, by nature of disability, the odds of disability increasing 
as you age that we might actually just by nature have more persons with disabilities in work in the workforce because of just maybe we have an aging workforce but i still think we have to force the issue and force not force but ask business leaders uh, to be accountable to add disability to their global diversity and inclusives this is a big deal but we're not making enough progress when you don't hire people who have disabilities you don't think about people with disabilities as being part of your market but when you take a look at that untapped market and if you start thinking about what you're doing you're actually providing services to a market that needs to be fulfilled but you're also enriching your company and so it's a great economic decision to say i'm going to make a difference if if you're a company that uses the word innovation in your vernacular if you if you you know talk about the future of work if you talk disability in reality is the first thing you should look at i mean most of the products and digital services we all use today were already being used by people with disabilities uh food delivery services grocery delivery uh you know on demand taxi services you know you, i could go on i mean the automation siri uh you know we're on the precipice of something truly incredible with the onset of artificial intelligence technologies but you know i i could see a lot of those things at first working for people with disabilities in a material way and i think if you want to serve a, a population you want to have a preview of what's going to work make sure your product works for people with disabilities you know i've yeah. heard apple does that or they're rolling out a new app or service or or product so uh, again i i you know like arnold this is a huge econ economic opportunity and if you're an organization that isn't you know prioritizing disability or accessibility in some way you're going to be uh, left in the dust Brad McCannell of the Rickanson Foundation in a conversation that I had with him a few years ago said when speaking to employers they'll go oh yeah we got an accessibility program and so he says oh does that mean that you've got a telephony program for people who have trouble hearing what about people who are blind what about you know any kind of skills you can't just think oh i've addressed one thing i've made this wheelchair accessible an accessibility mindset he says needs to be much broader yes i think you know disability can be permanent um it can be temporary or situational right you know and i think if we look at disability that way you know we solve for so many things whether it's someone who uh you know has has an accident and they you know they 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 have to use a walker for a little bit until their leg repairs or um an expectant mother um you know anything like that we have to sort of encompass disability as as the central focus as part of uh being a human and that's really what disability is and i've been one of the people that have been quite vocal about making disability more relatable by focusing in more on health and more on situational awareness so um i echo those words completely third and final break we'll be right back the production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown BD Developments Stem Cell Technologies and listeners like you The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Developments, Stem Cell Technologies 
and listeners like you. Okay, I'm trying to think my way through uh, this next question because two weeks ago I was on a heavy construction site where the world is made up of jagged fractals. There are no straight lines. And I started thinking, okay, you can't have a mobility challenge and do this work. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be denied access to being part of the team. Absolutely. And I think you just said something that resonates with me, which is team. I think when you're a person with a disability and you're hired in an organization, it's not just enough to, you know, get hired and get your, you know, get in the door. You have to really be part of that team. And I think uh, in, in my situation at, at RBC, I do feel that. I feel like I am included, that I am considered. I feel like my voice is heard. Um, I feel like I can be a full-fledged participant within the organization. But we know that there are jobs, uh, depending on the situation, where we might think a disability might not serve uh, you know, you know, a purpose or that we might not uh, see the fit there. But I think uh, like I said before, you know, disability can, can mean a lot of things. It can also be invisible. So we need to also consider the fact that we might already have people with disabilities within our organizations that have simply chosen not to disclose their disability. So, you know, on that con- construction site, you might have even had someone with a disability who's just not mentioning it to anyone. So I think those are some things that we have to consider as well. I want to go back to something that you talked about a little bit earlier about innovation. As you said, as you said that, I was thinking about an interview that I did with a guy who was up in Quenelle, I don't know, about 15 years ago. He was a heavy-duty mechanic who got injured on the job. He wound up in a wheelchair. And he went, well, I don't want to give up being a heavy-duty mechanic because I really like the work. And, well, you think, well, how are you supposed to do that job if you're in a wheelchair? So he demonstrated that um, innovation is the answer to most challenges. He modified his wheelchair with all kinds of levers so that he could do things that would get him standing up or leaning over the hood or he could stretch back down and roll under the vehicle. I mean it was remarkable. The level of innovation was extraordinary. And so when you see that kind of innovation you go, well why would I want to deprive my organization of a mind like that? Oh, absolutely. And I I think actually we do see organizations that now have digital accessibility teams that, you know, are implementing certain practices and and engineering principles that make things more open and inclusive. So absolutely, I think that's needed. We do need that design mindset, especially right now, as I would love to see more designers, engineers that have disabilities that do think the way you just you just mentioned the responsibility of all of us is to realize our potential and a failure to do so is yes a loss to that individual but more importantly well maybe not more importantly but additionally it's a loss to all of society so when you succeed when that person succeeds when people all succeed well then society wins all of society wins thank you that's great Thank you for listening, and please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a subscriber. And thank you to Audlin Brown, BD Developments, and Stem Cell Technologies for their support.